Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Callie, who is the mother of a transitioned male-to-female son. Callie received the message of her son's intention to transition in 2018 and scrambled to find resources to understand what was going on and stumbled upon parents of rogdkids.org org and there found a support group to speak with other parents about the situation of their child transitioning specifically their son in this conversation we talk about her journey through this ordeal and what she's learned about other parents experience when they decide that reality is more important than identity and that their worry that medicalization for a psychological issue is neither ethical nor good for their children. If you are a parent or know a parent of a transitioning individual and have questions and concerns about that, check out Parents of ROGD Kids. And without further ado, here is Kelly. I really love being a mom. It was something that even as a teenager, I knew no matter what I wanted to be a mom. Yeah. Feminists would probably hate me for saying that, but. (laughs) Well, you're talking to me, so you already have something. (laughs) 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 Both could be villainized, but (laughs) yeah. No, I love, I loved being a mom, every bit of it. When you were a teenager, what were you imagining or like, what was the call? You know, at one point, I don't know. I used to babysit a lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, and it just dawned on me one day that I was like, yeah, I want this in my future. Yeah. Just a, you know, just a, a moment with the kid babysitting some kids going that I really like this. This is what I want yeah. someday. Yeah. But I knew I wanted my education. I liked knowing I had options in front of me. I could do what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's nice. Are you you a grandparent now? I am. Can't you tell the good here? No. No. Yeah, no, I'm a grandparent. And it's it's really lovely. Different? Better? Um, it's better because, um, I don't have to give them middle of the night. Yeah. I can spoil him. Um, it's hard because they live across the country from us, so we don't get to see him very often. Um, that part's difficult, but, uh, with technology now with zoom and FaceTime. Yeah. We get to see him at least every week. Um, but yeah, and, and he's so young still. I know when he gets older, it'll get better because we'll be able to develop more of a relationship. Right now, he's just a, not even a toddler. And oh, okay. I'm just a, another, you know, someone yeah. that loves him. So yeah, it takes time to form. Yeah. Fresh to this world. Yeah, but yeah, he's coming out in January and cannot wait to spoil him. Very, very excited. For extended time, like a week or two? or uh, They'll be here in six days. Yeah, okay. I think about that. 
six days. Yeah. So getting the house prepared for oh, really? toddler fingers, toddler reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After working in yeah preschool, every edge of the furniture is just like, it always stands out to me whenever there's a kid around. I'm like, Oh no, watch, he's going to brand himself. He's going to brand himself over there. He's going to brand himself. I, I don't know. It's like this really weird hypervigilance. Like once you train your brain for that, you can't yeah. stop. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we got a, a puppy recently, so we've already like, you know, proofed the house for a puppy. So should be safe for a toddler. Did you bring the puppy to Denver? Or we were no, just talking about no. that. No, we were just talking about it. We were just uh, talking about it. Yeah, no, yeah. we didn't bring him. Yeah. No, he's too needy at that point. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Denver, how was that for you? The conference, the Genspect conference? Um, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In every, every sense, it was fantastic. Um, the speakers were incredible. Um, I was so impressed with the, the people who decided to step forward and fight in this and they don't have a child in it and they've sacrificed so much, right? With their careers, family for taking the position they have taken. Yeah. And, uh, that impressed me. Uh, just like in Ireland, um, I never thought I could walk into anything that was gender related and be so, it, it, and that the experience should be so positive to be surrounded by people who I can just talk openly with, yeah. um, the fellowship, uh, it was just, it was all fantastic. Nothing negative. Yeah. And uh, my husband came with me to Denver. He did not attend the conference in Ireland with me. Uh, and about a few hours into the first morning in Denver, I asked him, well, what do you think so far? And he said, this is the best conference I've ever been to. Hmm. And I thought that was very impressive. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to to convey that sense of fellowship is a really good word. Uh, I, that it was very powerful in Ireland, just the amount of coming together and openness between everyone in the conference. And a lot of people who had established relationships for years online, um, coming together and across all those different levels of the conversation or of the, of the issue, you know, parents, detransitioners, professionals of all stripes and journalists and so on and so forth and all coming together. And I, when, when I went to Ireland, I've said this a few times now, like I really thought that kids should be running around like, you know, dodging people, you know, because it was so family oriented. Uh, I mean, the content itself not so much, but like the, the feeling of it was just so familial, uh, and almost, uh, I, I want to say church-like, but then that would make people think of like a cult or a belief system, but just like that community, uh, just a really open community. And then the same thing in Denver and you can't really convey that, you know, I guess you can talk about it, but you can't really convey that to the people who weren't there and, um, the amount of positivity and openness between everybody 
quickly becomes totally shadowed and obscured by like a completely ridiculous dust up by people who weren't there. The blue, who, ga- the blue dress gate. Yeah. The blue dress gang gate. <laughs> and one person, one, one analysis of that was that, okay, so Genspec's finally making strides. Now everybody wants to be on the board of advisors of Genspec because they've pushed through something. Now everybody wants to tell Genspec what to do, you know? Right. Right. I know that was just, it was horribly disappointing to see that was the one thing that got so much coverage from that entire conference. And that, and anyone that was at the conference can tell you that it was, it was nothing. I mean, it really was nothing that anyone really paid attention to or I don't think was even upset about in any way because the conference was open to whoever wanted to come and discuss gender. Yeah. Um, it wasn't closed. It didn't have an invite list. And so for people to accuse Genspect of encouraging this and you're like, we're encouraging conversation is what we're yeah. doing. Um, we're not closed minded. So yeah, it's just the whole thing was, it's silly that that's what people are taking away from the conference. I'm happy the um, speakers are up on YouTube. Yeah. So people can actually see what it was all about. And, uh, and hopefully people will watch those and listen carefully. Mm-hmm. Were the, were the moms or the mom contingent, was that represented in the speakers list? I guess there was, I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, well, um, or parents, you know, that's what I mean. Yeah. Aaron Friday spoke, right? Yeah. In January, little John. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was, yeah. I, I think that they did a very, I think they were very balanced in representing everyone, giving, you know, everyone a chance to speak from their perspective their situation. Yeah. So one aspect of the conversation that I don't think I've covered that much, um, and I have a feeling that it just hasn't been time to yet because of how complex it is, is the parent take on this phenomena, uh, the parents of this generation and, um, especially parents who are resistant to it. I mean, there are parents who are, you know, what munching their way through it or like kind of pushing (laughs) their kids through it, you know, for whatever reason they're doing that. Mm -hmm. But because it's so personal and because there's privacy issues and because it, you know, it risks the relationship between the the parent and the child to, you know, for the parent to speak about it openly. Um, I've only had a couple of parents and mostly anonymous speak Mm -hmm. about their experience. Um, but I think as time goes on and those individual situations resolve in one way or another, um, that parents, the parental voices will have, um, will be ready to kind of speak up, stand out. Right. Yeah. I think, speak up, stand out. I think it's so difficult for the parents, especially when they're under 18, because they're trying so hard to navigate this with their children 
and get them through unscathed. Um, so they really have to be cautious about what they say and what they do and how public they are. Uh, with the over 18s, it's different, but I think there's still a fear because oh, when your child, even when they're over 18, comes out and announces their transition, it's hard to even speak with your family about it or your friends because there becomes a split very quickly in families and friendships over it. So you have a hard time trusting anyone and telling anyone about it because you don't, you don't know how they're going to react. And the last thing you need is someone to really push back on you if you're not affirming your child and their transition. And so the parents stop speaking. They isolate themselves. Um, they go underground. Uh, but I think like for me, we've been in this five years at least, I think five years. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone through my own, I hate the word journey, but I've come to this point that if I can't speak out, who's going to speak for me? No one really can speak for the parents. We have to do it ourselves. Yeah. And so if we can, when we can, even in our little ways, we have to do it. So thank you also for, you know, this opportunity to try to represent the parents. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, somebody, I was, um, I invited somebody to have an interview and they uh, listed all these things that we could talk about and not talk about and like maybe avoid and maybe do this whole thing. And, and, you know, this big long list of like expectations for the interview. I'm like, yeah, okay, listen, um, uh, th this, the whole story is never going to be told, but a good story yeah. tells itself. So uh, don't worry mm -hmm. about representation or like telling the whole thing, you know, just let the, let the conversation like hold what it can just hold you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. But well, we don't have that many hours to tell the whole story anyway. No, no, <laughs> not today. Not today. <laughs> but I think it is an important, um, no, it's very important. I mean, historically speaking, it's very important. Like the work that you were doing, you say five years ago. So that's what 2018. Um, yeah. Yeah. Could you talk about, um, your first steps into the conversation, reaching out, doing parent groups, like what, what, what resources were there when you. Yeah. So when, when this happened, um, or say it happened to us, um, when my son announced, called and announced his transition, um, there, there were very little resources. He gave me a few links, um, to websites for parents which were all uh, gender affirming. Uh, and I went through those and I thought, well, there, there has to be more to this than just if I don't accept um, and embrace that he's gonna kill himself. So um, we did a deep dive into finding anything to read. Uh, and I only found one book at the time that I could get my hands on, read that thoroughly, uh, but it took us months to find uh, parents of ROGD kids 
and we finally hooked up with them. And at that point, um, they were looking, we were with them, but they were looking for uh, someone to head up a specific group within this organization of parents with boys who are over 18. Okay. Because it's very different from the girls. It's very, very different for the under 18s. And um, they were looking for someone that could, you know, help this group of parents. And uh, we stepped forward. We were probably the only people that stepped forward. That's why we did it. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, at that time, we had, I think, about 60 families when we started it. And we're now we're at over 450 families. Jeez oh, Louise. Uh, and this is probably, we started it just over three years ago. So it's grown that much. Um, but yeah, there were, there was, I think there was one uh, Discord website for parents, uh, but there was nothing out there. So we were just floundering, yeah, trying to find anyone to talk to. Okay, so if, uh, if you're yeah, so you're looking for somebody to talk to, and you can't find any professionals, I guess, at this time. There's no resources. I, I, honestly, I didn't trust professionals. Oh, um, is that yeah, like a nothing... just a character trait of you? You just don't trust the experts, <laughs> or was it this specific? Issue? Um, no, it, you know, um, my son went to the experts and came out with. Um, therapy from free therapy from a clinic. Uh, and his therapist was a female to male transitioner. And I, and he was also in a state that you had to affirm if you're a professional, you have to affirm or you risk losing your license. So I knew therapy was going to be very biased. And I, I, yeah. So to go to a, a, someone that specialized in gender therapy or for parents, I figured we're just already going to be biased. Um, so, and also, I guess there is part of my personality that doesn't run to therapy quickly mm -hmm. or trust. I had one experience in the past and it wasn't a positive experience at all. So... Well, I bring that up because if, I mean, how, how do you get a framework if there's not one that's been workshopped already um, through some sort of you know, professional organization, like a framework, like a counter framework, or just a way to look at the lay of the land if, you, if you've only found one book and then a bunch of other parents that are probably um, spun skeptical? I guess mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. how, how do you guys develop like an understanding of what's going on together? We did it together. Once we gathered, we did it through each other. And we really, uh, I mean, I never, um, I've never been in a support group. I've never run a support group. I've, I don't do social media, so I don't even know how to, <laughs> to start a forum online was interesting. Yeah. I didn't know what to, you know, how to, to set it up. Um, yeah, we, we really, we had to learn the hard way and really relied on all the parents that were joining 
to just, it, it was more of a, not that I was leading it. It was more yeah. that we were just coming together and we gave them a place where they could talk, where they could post, where they could post resources, um, share things, ask questions, uh, ask each other how we're dealing with different situations. Yeah. So it, it really, it, we struggled at, be, at the beginning trying to figure out how to, you know, get this going. Plus at that point, oh, I think it was going into COVID when we started it. So thank God for Zoom um, and people learning how to communicate from home. Uh, but yeah, it's um, learned a lot along the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, right now, um, we still run it. We still run the online forum. We still uh, organize everything. But we've had a, several parents step up and take over the Zoom calls for me, which has been a huge help. Why? Because running three Zoom calls a month was emotionally devastating. It was so hard, so emotionally hard to run them. Why? What's because going you on? Feel their, that you okay. just feel their pain the whole time because you know exactly what they're going through. And, you know, you're reliving your own experience over and over again with these parents. And it's... I can't even tell you how draining it is and how consuming it can be. So I had to take a step back and just give myself a bit of a break. Um, but you know, these, these meetings, they're really just, we don't have an agenda. We just, um, tune in when you can, if you want to. And we just start talking, asking questions, new people, when they come on, we try to get them to talk about their story and, um, believe it or not, there's a lot of friendships that have been made through this and, you know, that I now have met personally, uh, face to face in Denver and Ireland and, uh, they've become friends, which sounds really weird. Uh, and, and sometimes we actually laugh a lot during our meetings hmm. because we've, we're tired of crying. So we start laughing a lot and that's been so positive. A little strange for new people coming on when they see us laughing. They're like, how can you laugh? What, yeah. what do you have to laugh about? Yeah. <laughs> but we get there. We get there someday. So I just, what is this like? So I'm trying to think, well, what would be some way that we could understand what parents are feeling? And like, well, why are they feeling bad? Why are they feeling, why is it painful? And I, I'm trying to think of like something that would be kind of parallel. Uh, and the closest thing that's coming to mind is if there were, um, if children came out as gay, mm -hmm. is the closest I could think of, but only because like the potential for grandchildren is potentially dramatically decreased i mean what well the trans uh, no, thing is it kind of it's it, yeah. it uses a lot of the the uh, gay rights stuff in in public consciousness right. to forward itself but like how like what other reason would parents come together and commiserate and feel 
pain, why are you guys feeling pain? Like, is it like maybe a bunch of parents that have children addicted to some substance that's changing them, you know, maybe drug addiction or something like that. But why would transition, why would this gender thing be so painful? Well, for specifically the kids that are over 18, when they announce their transition, the rules of relationships change immediately or they're asked to change the rules immediately. Um, and, uh, first of all, there are new name, there are new pronouns, there are different sex. We're asked to accept them as a woman. Um, and we're told that if we don't, that we will be cut off and we will not have a relationship. And it goes beyond that. When someone says they're gay, they don't ask for anything to change, just to know that their sexuality is different. But with transition, especially over 18s, these kids not only socially transition, they medically transition. So parents are horribly worried about the side effects of all the hormones, the surgeries, the long-term implications of all of this for their health, their happiness, their well-being, and hmm. it becomes it's really interesting. It's not not everyone across the board, but a lot of it becomes very confrontational, almost a rebellion and a fight. Like it's the first time our children have ever really rebelled against us. And they do it in a very big way. And we're worried. We're just really concerned about these decisions that have long-term permanent implications for their lives. Um, And this coincides with our kids also being, not all of them, but a lot of them just being in a time of their lives that they're lost. They're unanchored and they need guidance and they're turning to transition as a solution to what their problems are. And we know as parents that a lot of their underlying, I don't know. Well, their underlying mental health, a lot of it is not where where they should be in, and and making these kinds of decisions is really difficult decisions and and permanent decisions um, when they really need help with their anxiety and depression and and other things that come yeah. with that they've been dealing with before the transition has started or has been introduced um and and as I said earlier, once you tell family members, friends that their your child has announced their transition, because it's such a culturally hot subject, that there becomes these divides in the family that are just heart wrenching. You have your other children who take I don't know take sides they. You know, we'll, we have we have children in our families that aren't transitioning, but they support their brother in the transition. 
and have estranged from their parents because the parents aren't supportive or affirming. I mean, it really rips a family apart. Um, and that's just the start of it. The start of like when they announce that you know that this is going to be a difficult road ahead for your child and you're afraid for them. And you're just, it's not like you're afraid of your child making the wrong decision in a career <laughs> or um, maybe choosing a spouse that you're not real happy with. I mean, th this is a serious decision. I think a lot of people who aren't in this world of gender, or haven't had to be in it, look at people transitioning as, oh, well, you know, they're adults, they can do what they want. You know, technically they can, um, you know, they're just being themselves, let them be them. And, you know, as long as they're happy, uh, I think they only see transition on the superficial level of um, dressing differently, cutting your hair, growing your hair, um, maybe some makeup or, you know, whatever, you know, just, you know, some very, like I said, superficial things. Um, they don't understand the medical implications. They don't understand almost like the, um, the ideology that our children are caught up in, as in like for my son and I, where we butt heads on this is he believes he is a woman. And that's all he'll accept from me is that, that I admit that he's a woman and always has been where I'm like, you're my son who decides, who decided that he would prefer to live as a woman. And those are just two different beliefs and we can't find a you know, a middle ground on that. And so our relationship has just deteriorated because of his yeah. his desire to live as a woman yeah. and be known as a woman. And the family, just the dynamics, the relationship. So just as an example, my relationship with my son has always been for 25 years or more than that. Um, based on our family history, what we've done together, our interests, his interests, his sports, um, you know, his pursuits. Um, and then suddenly one day that's erased. We can't talk about our past. We can't talk about what life used to be. And now I have a daughter who wants me to, braid his hair and, and I'm like huh. it, it, the, the expectations for parents to just go along with what they choose to do now um it's very difficult to just switch it right like I've had this for 25 years now I have to it has to go away it's destroyed it's gone and it's not just gone and destroyed, but our sons look at 
are, their childhood, their past is something that they hate and are ashamed of. Where we as a parent, we're like, well, we had a great life. We had a great relationship. Um, and it's thrown away. It's just absolutely thrown away. I think people just don't understand the depths of what transition is all about. There's just this added level of, I don't know the right word. I don't want to cuss. I was going to say what the fuckery about it because you, your relationship to your son is rooted in you being a woman. You gave birth to him. You nursed him. Uh, the That bond of mother to son is so based in your womanhood. Like it, it could have never been possible had you not been a woman. And then to see him attempt to be a woman and to know the truth of that so deeply and personally, and that being the foundation of your relationship, it, it's got to just be like the, the to try to hold that truth and and try to. Uh, I guess so. The parents in the situation that you're describing in the discussion group, I I'm sure that they have to kind of workshop. Well, how do I even talk to my son that this is not possible like that that he doesn't see what he he doesn't know what he doesn't know um and this delusion or this uh projection of a desire is not reality like how can you and like you said like the relationship itself deteriorates because there's two different worlds you're just like it's like trying to talk two different languages across time right right, right. it's it's like following up on that we find that our sons are very, they have to be very performative, right? Because it's not natural to be a high, have a higher voice or walk or have feminine gestures. Yeah. And so they, it becomes very performative and it's exhausting for them. Well, the same goes with parents or family members. You're dancing around this issue and you're trying to be kind and loving and trying to hold this relationship together, but in the, your mind, you're constantly going, this is, this is, this is not real. This is not right. And, and I'm having to perform and pretend the whole time that I'm keeping it under control yeah. and I'm not losing it. <laughs> and I'm not going to, you know, I'm trying not to fight and argue and I'm trying not to constantly present uh, you know, the, the research of, you know, the, the implications of what these hormones will do in 10 years. And, you know, it's, 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 everyone is just dancing around each other, trying to hold it together and yeah. it's exhausting. Yeah. And, and, and you see, it's hard to see your son now have breasts and have surgeries that change them physically and you're searching for them. I'm sorry. That's okay. And you know in your heart that they're lost and they need 
they need help. They need guidance. They need help and not just love. They don't need affirmation. They need truth. Um, and they just don't get it from anyone around them. Besides our particular group of parents who are kind of trying to stick with reality and try to be the person in their lives that will always be the truth and be grounded in reality. And our children reject us for it. Um, hmm. I know we haven't really talked about this much, but there's a lot of estrangement with our families because the kids are, it's, it's very black and white thinking. If you don't completely support me and follow my list of guidelines and rules, <laughs> really? what we can talk about, what we can't talk about. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, we, we, they, we get the lists of what's acceptable. We can discuss and not discuss. And if we don't follow those rules and then we're, we're rejected. They cut us off. We're vilified. We're hated. We're, we're, we've been, we're definitely called transphobic by our own children and hateful. And, uh, it's, it's one of the things that I didn't expect being in this is, um, when my son first announced one of my other children said to me, don't worry, mom, you know, he's going to be the same person, just going to be the other sex. And I thought, okay, okay, I'll try this and we'll see, you know, um, I love him too much to not be in his life. I want to be in his life and I want to be there. Um, but his personality changed so much. His character changed so much. Hmm. And I thought, well, maybe that's just my son, but talking to all these other parents in my group, it's a very common thread that they, their, their characters change. They become, they used to be very loving, kind, close, um, children with you, but then they become very angry and bitter and uh, combative. And I'm not saying all the kids in our families, but this is a very common thread. And mm. that's a lot of it. That's so hurtful. I didn't, I didn't realize my son and other boys in this could be so cruel to their parents. Um, and I'm going to give an example. And this is, this is, this isn't one particular one in our group. This is many in our group that this happened to that uh, one of their children, the non-trans children, um, are getting married and the parents are uninvited to the wedding because they're not affirming hmm. their sibling. And it's, <laughs> it's just kind of mind boggling how cruel that is. Like how cruel children can be to their parents. Uh, and I can tell you, these parents are just really lovely people. They really care about their children deeply. So the, uh, the, the character change, uh, you said anger, is it because of, of fragility? Is there like, why would it, why would a belief system takes, turn somebody in that way? 
or make somebody behave that way? I think you picked the right word. It's fragility. Um, We are the parents are the people in their lives that know them the best besides themselves or whatever. But, um, we know them the best. We know them the longest, right? We, we, we know them and for them to transition and to live this life, they have to believe it themselves deeply that they're the other sex and they don't, they're always questioning it within themselves. And when they're with us, they can't hide it. They can't hide who they are from us because we've known them so long and so well. So I think that's why this change happens. They have to reject us in order for they, for them to live this life. What kind of, yeah. What what kind of uh, consolation or uh, value do you see for parents to understand the motivations behind transition uh, from a psychological level or from like a developmental level? Cause I, you as parents, you have to understand your, I guess it sounds like probably for the most people in your situation that keeping the relationship and caring for this child that you were given and that you gave into life and your whole job has been to care for them. Like that's, that's essential. So understanding why and all the theories behind it might not be that useful for you. I'm just thinking in the conversation, the broader conversation, you know, we have like these classifications and then there's conversation about what are the sexual motivators of this? What are, what are all these different inputs? What's Mm -hmm. going on here? And I'm wondering, um, I suppose as parents, you probably already do that. Like whenever your child gets a cough, you know, you, you run to your little Dr. Spock book or whatever, and you try to figure out like, what was the reason for it? Because it's, right. it's comforting to understand things. But as the conversation, this, uh, this topic has, has grown, this issue has grown and more and more resources are coming to the table. What, what role does that kind of understanding um, play out in the parent groups? And for the yeah, I, it's, I think every parent runs to that quickly. Like you said, they run to the books and go, what, what is this all about? How can I understand this? Um, and I think a lot of it is guilt of what did I not see? What did I miss? What did I, how did I fail my child? Um, so right away with the parents, immediately the guilt, this, this is, you know, I did something wrong. I, I've, you know, I've, uh, I've neglected something. Um, yeah. So, you know, we should honor ourselves. Pardon me? I ruined my baby. That's going to be like I, a... I ruined my child. I ruined my child's life. And, and sometimes they tell you that you, you've ruined their lives, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is the first thing that we go through. And then once we get past that, um, and we try to find all the reasons why, and as you know, there's so many roads to this that lead to transition. Um, I think I know from, I'm speaking for myself and I think a lot of other parents, we, after time, we get to the point that it doesn't really matter. They're there. Okay. It's they're there. Um, 
I know there's a whole, the hot topic of AGP with the boys, um, whether they are or not, if they're ROGD or not. I know that's definitely contentious among some parents, but um, my view is it really doesn't matter. He's where he is right now. Um, and I can't go back and change anything from years ago. We are in this situation now, and I just want to be able to help them hmm. from this point on. Um, I think it's, I mean, I don't find it helpful for me at all to have those conversations or even have those thoughts. Um, and honestly, they're adult sons, even if they weren't adult sons, if they're kids, how much are they going to tell their mom about their sexual life? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think all the parents go through that. So again, it's their journey of, you know, starting out and where they end up and, yeah. you know, we all, we all want to place a blame on something, right? Like, we want someone to, to be responsible for what has happened to our children. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily there. Yeah. Or necessarily helpful. Mm -mm. So you, you said like there is a journey there and I was thinking like, are there these, if there's something, you know, the psychologists, they always come up with these stages of things like the stages of grief or whatever. And if it yeah. is a stages of grief, you know, you have your denial, anger, acceptance, or all, all the, all the different things uh, that you can mm -hmm. kind of see. There's probably a pattern that parents go through and you having run these groups, you going through it yourself and then, you know, managing it, then seeing new parents show up and go through different processes. Um, what, what's kind of like the, the plot arc where, where do people, like generally move toward and what do they move through as they go through sharing and relating and then discovering mm -hmm. what's going on. Yeah. So, um, so it starts out with just the gathering of, of knowledge, <laughs> information and every, I mean, the, the depression is real. The, um, the guilt, the anger, everyone, it's like, it's almost like the stages of grief. It, it, that's really where everyone goes through until you get to that acceptance phase of, um, this is what our life is right now. Um, whether I affirm or not, this is just, I accept that this is where our life is and there's nothing I can change about that. Um, and it, and, it, and a lot of the parents, like I'll tell you, they're just, we don't have a lot of parents in our group because they go through these this arc and end up with the my child's an adult there's nothing i can do i have to find a way to move on with my life and continue to live this every day and not let it defeat me hmm. um unfortunately for the parents it takes usually several years to get to that point um And I just, I, watching the parents, having gone through it, I wish I could just tell the new parents, try to get through those first 
phases of grief as fast as you can and get to the side of trying to find joy and move on with life. Hmm. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, and don't get me wrong about our group. We have a lot of, I mean, as Alistair said, these stories never repeat, but they always rhyme. Mm-hmm. There are parents that are able to have relationships with their kids that are fairly, well, non-combative. <laughs> um, a lot of these boys are very, very respectful and sweet with their parents. And then we have, you know, we have the, like everything in our group to the point that we have parents that uh, have no relationship with any of their children because of it. Um, it's a, you know, it, it, it's very unique to each situation. Uh, but we do see a lot of these older boys absolutely rejecting their families and their parents and cutting everything, cutting everyone out of their lives. And that's, that's, I mean, what other movement or ideology or anything that, you know, besides a cult that does this. And I hate to use that word so lightly, but there's so many cult aspects of this. Yeah. And it's just distributed everywhere. It's it's like leaderless. It's just there out there. Yeah. Catching. Yeah. Catching things like this filtration system. And a dark web. (laughs) (laughs) Just floating out there. But yeah, it's infiltrated everything, right? I mean, not just social media, but it's in our school systems. It's, I mean, everywhere you turn, you can't, you can't run from it. That's for sure. I'd like to. Well, so in doing my own kind of version of research into this, I have seen, especially with the conversations with the detransitioners that gender just becomes everything or can become everything for the individual who mm. wants to transition where they're thinking about it all the time and they're breaking everything down into gender roles and trying to achieve like this perfect gendered identity. And so it just becomes everything that they are and every other avenue of growth and exploration is really curtailed by, by this project of trying to become this thing. Um, and it's, it doesn't seem very healthy in a lot of cases. And a lot of the detransitioners kind of move away from it because like they just, they can't fit their soul into that container. They, they're more than that. Um, and then they start seeing, well, why do I even care about this? And they go through a, a different journey. But if that's happening with a kid where they're really obsessed with gender, it could be the case that it's a temptation or a pitfall for the parents to also allow gender to become everything. And I'm sure that, they have to do that for a certain period of time. And you've probably had to do that too, but you're like, wait, I used to take walks. I used to make pottery. I used to cook, but now everything is gender, 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 gender. Yes. It's exactly the parallel that we have with our children. When it first happens, probably for, well, God, for me, at least a year that you just wake up in the middle of the night and the first thought was your child. Like it was the first thing that came to your mind in the middle of the night and uh, you didn't sleep for the first year for sure. <laughs> and obsessed, huh. obsessed with, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, 
Yeah. You're watching a child self-destruct in a way. I don't know if that's even the right way to describe it, but, and you can't stop it. It's watching it and it just, you don't want to see your child destroy their bodies. And for a lot of our kids, it's really, I can't say destroy their lives, but it's made it very difficult. They're, they're not, they're not adulting. They're not, uh, transition hasn't been, um, has not moved them forward in life. They haven't been able to succeed in the sense of, um, I'm trying to be gentle with this. Um, <laughs> well, no, because you could see that there's um, instances and there have been instances where a person transitioning benefits them or, or allows them to move through life in a way that, you know, that they're not clawing at their own skin, you know, with severe, severe cases of gender dysphoria. And if that were the case, I'm sure your parents would find peace in that, but it seems like they're, you guys are seeing that that's not what's going on. It's not this gender dysphoria that's only can be treated through this very drastic medical intervention. There's other things going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I, even the trans community or the gender affirmative uh, system has kind of backed away from gender dysphoria being the cause and transition being right. the solution. It's not, it's no longer tied to that. Right. So, so the yeah. parents, so I'm, 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 I, you know, it's hard to kind of push against you and be respectful because being in it, like there's gotta be this warp that happens where maybe like somebody could come in, a third party could come in and say, well, you guys are worried. You, um, you're not really seeing your children for what they are. You guys are like overprotective and all this stuff. But if this is happening over and over and over again, and you guys are talking about it and you're very smart, capable people, I've met a lot of you. Um, you're probably seeing something that's going on here. That's not adding up mm-hmm. and to convince other people who would be pro transition or pro affirmation. Otherwise, not that you could ever do that, or it's not your responsibility to do that. But I just, I want to concretize somehow that you guys aren't, you guys, I don't know. I, you know, who knows, but could you be wrong about your boys? And how do you go through the, I guess everybody's going through that. Like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And like, and how does it come out to the case that no, we're right. Something else is going on. Like, what are the deciding factors for that? That, that are replicated. Yeah. Um, we do question ourselves. Yeah, for sure. As parents. Um, but no, we're not wrong. And I can say that with confidence. Um, I can 
um, it kind of goes back to basics <laughs> philosophically. I don't, you cannot change sex. Um, it's just that simple. Um, my son can have all the surgeries he wants, but he will never bear children. He'll never have a period. He'll never go through menopause. I mean, there's a lot of things that he can, uh, He can, he can mimic, but he cannot be a woman. It's just that simple. It's biology. I'm, I'm really, I'm a person of science. I, I know that sounds really trite, but there's nothing he can do to become a woman. He is a man and it's just that simple. Um, my heart breaks for my son and other children who are tormented by the gender dysphoria or the other anxieties or um, mental health issues that bring them to this point of making these decisions, of rejecting who they are. I know a lot of this is maladaptive coping mechanisms and talking to the parents, you hear it all the time. You hear, my child struggled with this, bullying, you know, learning disabilities, et cetera. And they all found that the transition was the solution to their problems or they thought they that it would be. But so many of our kids, not all of them, but so many of our kids are not living in our, at least from what we're seeing, a productive, happy life. If we just take the ideology and put that aside and just look that, did this help them to be more open, more kind, more loving to themselves, other people? You're seeing, and the parents that you're working with are seeing that, no, this isn't making these kids happier. Mm -hmm. They're not... Yeah. widening into the world. They're shrinking into mm -hmm. themselves, broadly speaking. Mm -hmm. yes. So it's not working. Yes. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. I'm not saying 100% of our group sees that, but the majority of our group sees that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my son has addiction issues. Uh, we think he's anorexic too. I mean, this is all post-transition. I don't see happiness. Um, I don't see him succeeding in life in the sense of just being, uh, you know, happy, productive member of society. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So added to, so there's all these different layers of uh, pain and hardship that are bundled up here. One is like that first year you said where you're not sleeping, you're watching, you're worried about your child. They're, you know, they're asking you to change all this way of looking at them. They've kind of tore apart their first 20 years of life that you spent with them and kind of stopped your access to that. And then they want you to 
think and speak to them differently and change all this stuff. You struggle with that, trying to keep that relationship intact. Then there's the medical stuff that's going on. Their body starts to change. You have to, you have to remap them as a woman in your mind because they do have these breasts. You're like, wait, what? what? Like, like, so you have, you're constantly battling them and you're watching their, I'm sorry to go through this with you, but you're watching them deteriorate their mental health deteriorate. They need more, more and more. They need more and more of you. And this ideology is right there, just stopping it, just constantly stopping you guys. And, and he is, he's just kind of dangling over the abyss and like, he can't, he can't support him. So you have, I guess you have to do tricks to just to communicate to him, right? You, you have to give him yeah. access to you. You have to keep on like sending him love and also tending to yourself too. I mean, the, what has this shown you about yourself? Like, what have you learned about who you are? Uh, <laughs> I'm stronger than I ever imagined I could be. Um, it shows the, the, how deep you can love your child, how deeply. Um, hmm. And actually... Uh, for me personally, I'm probably finding my voice a little more. Uh, I worry too much. I worry a lot about losing my entire family over this. Um, so uh, you do a lot of gymnastics to hold it all together with every member of the family. Um and you realize you you know what as as painful as this is and hard as it is you can still you can do it you can do it you can love you can have the empathy the compassion but still stay firm in your beliefs and uh personally this has definitely made me much stronger in my faith um, yeah, much stronger. I learned I had to work at relationships a lot more than I ever thought I had to, because as a mom, you kind of fall into this role of I'm the mom and you're my child. And, you know, this is mm -hmm. the natural order of things and, uh, gets shaken up and you have to find your footings again. Uh, yeah. And, uh, as I said about the first year of not sleeping, the other thing that people don't realize is the parents, I didn't realize this for years. Um, I thought I was unique. <laughs> I thought I wasn't unique, but, um, most of the moms I talked to, they all go through severe depression for the first couple of years. But again, you find the inner strength to go on and you do it because you love your children so much. Because I think that's what people don't get is that we're not doing this because we're transphobic 
or don't like our children or rejecting our children. We're doing this. We're fighting because we love them so much because it was so, it'd be easier just to go along with it and pretend to accept it and embrace it and march in the parades. But our love is so deep that we will not bend to this ideology. We will stand strong and we will be the one person in their lives that will always be speaking the truth. Because it is really, it would be so much easier sometimes just to cave. But um, I don't believe in lying to my children. It never happened. I lied about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, but that's it. Oh, and the Tooth Fairy. But beyond that, I've never lied to my children. And I won't start now. Sorry. <laughs> I promised myself not to get emotional, but <laughs> I did anyway. Well, it's somewhat of an emotional topic, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, you know, back to what we were saying, the, the parallel with it being all-consuming. It can be so consuming for the parents. And it's the one thing I, I want parents to go through, go through the emotions. You have to do it but I want them to come to out to the other side of um, taking care of themselves again and not beating themselves up about it. Um, they're good parents. They're loving parents. And this is, this whole thing is beyond our reach. Our children are influenced by so many other things in this world. And we can only hope that they, Remember, our children remember the values that they were raised with and that they will uh, I'd like to say become whole again and love themselves again because that's what's really probably the most upsetting part for me for my son um, is I mean we adore him we adore adored him so much and just found him to be a practically perfect like my other children <laughs> and it just hurts to see him reject himself so much he reject the person that we adore and throw away the person that we adore I guess that's where the pain comes from. I wish he could see the wonderful person he is that we all see. Yeah. And I always have. And just because they're adults doesn't mean that they are um, not our children. They'll always be our children. My father used to tell me all the time when I was raising the kids when they were little and being little brats. And he said, you'll always love them and worry about them from womb to tomb. That will never end. And he's, he's right.
You you mentioned faith. Um, how does that help, or what what is the uh, you said that that that's deepened? What is it about faith that has become necessary? Maybe. That's yeah, it really has. I mean, it's always been there, but it hasn't been as necessary <laughs> when life is going well, right? Um, but yeah, this I had to really dig deep um, and realize that this is this is out of my hands, and I have to let I have have to put faith in God that He will He will protect my son. And we're, there is a, there is a, there has to be a reason for all this and for all these parents and all these children and our whole society going through this right now, there has to be a reason and there has to be a reason for me to be in it, um, where I am. And I have to just hmm. let God take care of me and take care of my son and my family. And it's a letting go of the control mm -hmm. that is necessary. I hope that explains it. Humility. Yeah. Like a kind of a proactive humility, not a, like a letting go or get it, giving up. But a... Yeah, it's not giving up. It's yeah. uh, handing it off to someone else. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Because I'm not so... gonna, I'm not gonna solve this myself. How are these, what, how have, how have the, the groups developed over time and where are they at now? And where do you see them going? Oh, as in within my own group, like the, yeah, like the groups are yeah. like these, the, this kind of, you know, resource for parents, this particular mm -hmm. resource for parents. Um, I think it'll always be necessary absolutely necessary because there's always people moving into it coming into our group and at the beginning of all this and there are people that are you know at the other end going okay i gotta stop obsessing over this and thinking about it and, and moving on with my life um so it's that there's a constant in and out a flow of people but i found at one point I thought I was going to pull back and not get so deep into this because I needed to get step away a little bit, but these parents really need this resource. I mean, desperately. And this is not a pat on my back at all, but these parents are like, this saves my life. I don't know where I'd be without these, this group or these groups. So I don't see this type of resource ever being obsolete for a very long time. It's even parents that are in it for years and their kids are estranged. They still pop in even that they moved on. They still pop into the meetings and, and the, the forum and they still need the connection. Um, you'll always need someone. We'll, we'll always need someone that we can just talk to that you don't have to explain anything to them. They understand completely, uh, completely how you're feeling and where you're coming from. Uh, and we have, it's really interesting within our, our group, we have, um, 
a meeting every month just for parents of estranged sons, which is, you know, a very unique situation um, that requires different types of conversations and different types of support from the parents who are new into this and trying to find the resources and trying to handle like maybe their child's in college and they're negotiating with their son about uh, medicalizing. And uh, sometimes they have some, some influence or control where you have the parents of the estranged sons who have no, you know, we don't even know what our children are doing. There's no communication. We, you know, we're hoping, you know, a lot of them are hoping that they're, they have a job or they're, they're living well, um, they're surviving, but it's such a, it's a, such it's a very broad set of needs, even within our group. Um, but yeah, I can't see even when, so we do have parents in our group that have kids that have detransitioned or desisted and they still need the support because they don't have one, anyone to talk to about this either. Cause that's a whole, oh, that's a whole nother emotional journey, right? That you're living with your kid and trying to be supportive and people don't understand all the implications, the depth of a detransition or a desistance. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think this group's going to go away. Yeah. It's like this, uh, I just keep on thinking about the prodigal son and, and the, you know, in the story or the parable, you know, the father like breaks out the fatted calf when the son comes home. Right. But yeah. you never really think oh, as a kid or, just somebody on the outside of that story kind of looking in. You, you, you watch the prodigal son, you think about the prodigal son, but like the apogee of his mother's never mentioned in the story, but what his father must have felt like, you know? And yeah. that, that at that most estranged point and just kind of like yeah. letting life happen to his son. Right. Yeah, no, I, I never understood that terrible ever <laughs> until my son transitioned. And I'm like, I get it now. I get what that's all about because, you know, if, 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 and when he returns to us, it's all in the past. It's gone. It will just be rejoicing. It'll just be pure joy. No bitterness, no anger, no resentment, just, And the other thing people don't understand about, again, it goes back to the prodigal son um, and the relationship with the family. It's like, you know, you have other children and you don't want this topic and subject to consume you and you start neglecting your other children. It's, a, you know, it's like, again, it's a, just a balance that you have to, constantly be aware of every day and for your spouse like you know this you know to be present for your spouse and to to be in this together and united 
and yeah. supportive of everyone's feelings and everyone's opinions and views. Yeah, that we haven't even uh, hit on that, but the um, the strain and the opportunity for growth uh, that yeah. this uh, introduces to a couple, mm -hmm. to mom and a dad. Um, I mean, that in and of itself probably has like sessions are just about that, you know, or like <sighs> groups are just about that. Like, how do I, how do I stay married? Yeah. Like what, what does this do to our marriage, you know? Right, right. I mean, because you have, I mean, we've seen that, we've seen divorces over it. Um, there's a lot of um, learning to accommodate your spouse's view or how they, ha they have to handle it themselves. Just because I grieve or process it one way doesn't mean my husband's going to do the same thing. Uh, and there's definitely a difference between the moms and the dads and how they, how they personally, um, feel responsible, I guess, take responsibility for some things yeah. and start questioning. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, could be another several hours. <laughs> discussion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really, it, uh, it tests, it tests the marriage for sure. It really does. Yeah. It, um, so. And at every, at every step of this transition topic, it highlights the difference between males and females on every <laughs> level. It constantly points yeah. to how different they are. Oh God. Yes. And which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are moments I'm like, if this doesn't prove that he really is a boy, <laughs> he thinks he's a girl, but he's acting like a man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that's why we balance each other out so well. Yeah. So how, um, as an, as a resource, if a parent or somebody who knows a parent stumbles across this interview and, uh, wants to connect them, to what you're doing or to the groups that you're doing, where would people go? So parents of ROGDkids.org. It's the parent organization that we fall under. And uh, you, they would contact them. And then uh, based on their location and situation, they would, if they have a son that's over 18 or around 18, um, they would connect us with them. And then they also try to connect them in, in their closest city. We reach across the United States. We we're, we have parents in other countries. So it's pretty broad. Yeah. When the book is written on this, like really written on this, like the, the magnitude of the effects of this ideology and these medical practices is going to be phenomenal it's going to be unbelievable yeah. just how many families how many people have been affected by this yeah and yeah. if you if you weigh it positive versus negative like really judge what it is and what it does people in the future people outside of it are like what's going this is it'll be right. like you know like this weird cultural 
thing like foot binding or something like that. Oh, look at these barbaric <laughs> society. Look what they did to themselves and each yeah. other. Yeah. And what, and the society went along with it. Yeah. And I think that's what's so mind boggling about this one is the medical field, you know, the medical experts, you know, the people we turn to have just been captured by this. And that I think is just the real crime because I, you know, parents, when their their child, male or female, no matter age, when they say, Hey, I'm really the other sex or gender or whatever, um, they turn to the professionals and the professionals are just not doing their job. And these parents don't know that, that they don't have to take their child in for, you know, puberty blockers and hormones and surgeries. But this is what the doctors tell them. And a lot of parents don't know that there, there are other ways to approach this. And that's, what's really sad. I mean, I know parents in our group, that same thing. They, they had no idea that there was an alternative to everyone's told by you have to accept it because you'll have a dead son or a dead daughter. And it's just shameful, just shameful. Hmm. But I'm, I would love to fast forward to when yeah. this all goes away. Yeah. And it all falls apart because it is starting to fall apart. Just not fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some other resources that have been really helpful for you? And it could just be anything that isn't even about this topic, like things that have really helped oh. you. Oh, well, your podcast. And I was hoping you'd say that. Yes, your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, I think Gender the Wider Lens is um, a great resource yes. for not just parents, anyone that wants to know this in more depth. Um, gosh, so many books now. Um, and so many podcasts and YouTube video. It's just, yeah, there's so yeah. much out there. It's, it's mind boggling. Um, those are the, like that. Well, I think Genspect is a, a great resource too. There's a lot of, um, guidelines that they write a lot of the stats for gender, things like that, um, that are very helpful for parents. Um, and not just parents, I should say families, friends, uh, anyone that's concerned about a loved one that's caught up in this. Uh, I'd love, yeah, I know. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of them aren't about gender, but um, I'd like, oh God, I love Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I love listening to um, Douglas Murray. Um, I, I listen to Joe Rogan when I have the time to spend four hours. <laughs> um, I know. Um, there's just so much out there. The dark horse podcast. I like Lex Friedman, which isn't anything about gender, but um, uh, yeah, just again, it's for parents themselves when they need to step away from this, just get into other, other podcasts, other reading even if it's just stupid fiction that's just frivolous, just mm -hmm. escape it. Give your brain a break. Give your heart a break. Mm -hmm. 
and go to conferences. Yeah. <laughs> to meet fellow parents and, you know, journalists and, yeah, other people that are in it, that are in it and understand it. What a journey, Kelly. <laughs> it's not over, is it? Mm. Thank you very much for um, opening up about this. Uh, such an important piece of the puzzle. The puzzle just keeps on. There's so many parts to it. And, and just highlighting the the depth of the connection between a parent and a child is something that I think we've taken as granted or completely forgot about. And it's unfortunate the way that we're designed is that pain and suffering is what kind of brings out the reality of things, you know, reminded very right. much of Job, you know, you don't know, you don't need faith. You can just have faith or whatever. It doesn't really even mean anything because you don't really need it. And then it, comes to a point in life where you have to have this thing or you realize like, wait, no, it's not just about what is a woman? Like, what is a woman? Like, like, what is a mother? Like, what is a son? Like, what is that? Yeah. And that thing you don't realize, I mean, I haven't realized it cause you don't think of, I haven't thought about it deeply until you think about it, but you're like, this had to be this strong in order for humanity to survive. It had to be the strongest thing in order for the, all of this to happen. It all, all of this relies on that, on that relationship, you know? Yeah. You're so right. And that's, and that's the thing is that relationship has been broken. And how do you fix it? How do you, is there even a forward? substitute? for that? No. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's the other part, partful, the, the part that I, I find very painful is, uh, my heart breaks for these kids who have rejected their families. And we know how reliant and dependent and, and, and just connected we, we are with all of our family. And that is just severed. And, and, and like I said, it's just like they're, they're adrift at sea. They're lost. And, uh, it, it just, does society care more about them just being who they are and not really care about their well being? Because these are just truly unhappy lost people and i think as a society we've neglected a lot of people yeah. with mental health issues yeah that's a whole nother subject yeah <laughs> thanks for bringing well, the lightness to the podcast <laughs> sorry i feel like it's so depressing what a frivolous episode this has been <laughs> i know i'm like <laughs> really? Oh God. <laughs> hey, but you know, we'll just have to invite you to one of our fun meetings where we laugh a lot. Oh yeah. I would yeah. We do fun I'd, humor. <laughs> I'd be honored to just sit in. Well, anytime stories. you wanna talk to parents, you know, yeah. they're happy 
happy to share. So, and thank you for doing everything you've done for gender and the parents and the detransitioners. Yeah. So really appreciate it. You have a lot of, a lot of fans in our group. I, I'm honored. Service is something really important that uh, has been one of the lessons that I've had to learn, uh, you know, growing up. It's like, you know, it's more important to serve than to be served. You know, it's more important mm -hmm. to facilitate than to be facilitated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just gives me a lot of um, value in my life and helps me out a lot, you know, to be helpful. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I get that because when we started the group, I think that's, I learned that very quickly. I did it for me because I needed fellowship and support. And then I realized quickly, like it, I became a better person <laughs> being there to help other people if, yeah. when I could, at least if I could. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, do you have an exciting thing planned for the rest of the day? Are you going to cook something cool or uh, take your dog on a walk? I want to go for a walk because um, it's a beautiful sunny day and get yeah. some fresh air and yeah, and get ready for all the family coming in. So oh, yeah, you got to prep the house. Baking a lot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Baby proof the house. I've been cooking and yeah. So um, just getting that prep. But yeah. Are you into pretty, baking? Pretty Is that your thing? I love to bake. I really? love to cook. Yeah. yeah. What's your What's your specialty? Baking good. Well, um, I've been known for the caramels. I'm every Ooh. Christmas for years. I make caramels, and um, my husband and I go around and give them to friends and neighbors at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's our little thing to say Merry Christmas. And um, actually, last year for Christmas, I sent Alistair a box full. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't do it this year. I should have. But um, yeah, that's probably like what people want me to make the most now. That's the most requested. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good to, be, good to be good at a treat. Yeah. You know, I, like I want to be one of those like Italian grandmas that just feed the grandchildren, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Come to my house and I'll feed you. Yeah. Make you fat on the mountain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. Thank you. Well, very much I hope for your I, time. I hope I was clear. I hope I yeah. was um, able to express everything, and you know. Yeah, I think you did. I was speaking with you. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you very you. much. I'll end the. Thank you for the opportunity. All Absolutely. right. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. And enjoy Hawaii. Yeah, we will. We're going to go climb some banyan trees and eat street tacos and walk around on the beach, look at a volcano, you know. Hawaiian Just being flip-flops. Yep, yeah, flip-flops for sure. Yeah. yeah looking that forward to taking really some nice. About this time of year, I'm like, yeah, yeah flip-flops would be nice again. <laughs> <laughs> so snow boots, but enjoy. Yeah, yeah. You too. Enjoy your family. Thank you. Thank Take you so care. much, Kelly. Mm -hmm. Have a good day. You too.